When I found out that I could just do all of my work from my laptop, I was like, I am out of here. Bye guys. It was actually learning how to switch off the traveling mode to the digital nomad mode. I, sometimes I do feel lonely living this life. Those are the steps really help an online presence as a solopreneur. Welcome to the Nomad Solopreneur Show. This is the only podcast where you will learn actionable tips that you can apply right away on how to build and grow a one-person business while traveling the world. I'm your host, Gabe Marushka, and every Thursday, solopreneurs and nomads will share their inspiring stories. I will challenge them to build solutions to real-life problems that freelancer and 9 to fivers are facing on their way to freedom. That's not all. Once a month... I welcome a special guest like executives and industry leaders to bring their wisdom and expertise to the table so you can grow your solo business fast. If you are a freelancer, aspiring nomad or solopreneur, turn up the volume because in today's episode I have the pleasure to host Jessica Lau, who I met on a hike in the middle of the jungle in Thailand. How did she end up being a nomad? After six years of slaving away in marketing agencies, Jessica took the leap and started her own business. Two and a half years later, she's living what was once her dream, working as a social media strategist while traveling the world. She's a storyteller, a huge outdoor enthusiast and a social media champion dedicated to showing brands off authentically to the world. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining. I'm super excited as well and really looking forward to our discussion. It's unbelievable, right? Going from meeting in the middle of the jungle to having you as a guest in the first ever episode on the Nomad Solopreneur Show feels unreal. I'm pretty sure I was barefoot walking around on all the bugs and everything. <laughs> that was a first for me as well. It was a great experience and we bonded over the hiking, which we both love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm super excited to hear from you why you took this journey of digital nomadism and why Thailand? I'll kind of explain why Thailand first. It actually wasn't supposed to be Thailand at all. It was supposed to be Vietnam, Da Nang specifically, but it just so happened that the flight that I got from back home in Canada landed in Bangkok first. So I was like, heck, why not? Um, I've been to Thailand before, but I haven't been to Chiang Mai and some other areas. So I just took that opportunity because I didn't really have a I have a schedule or anything to to explore Thailand a bit. And like a month and a half later, I'm still here in Chiang Mai. It's it's great, and there's such a great community here that I decided to stay. But in terms of my journey and why I wanted to start the digital nomad lifestyle is. I didn't really expect it to turn out this way, actually. The first thing that I wanted to do was just work for myself. That was the big thing. Um, I was sick of living nine to five, living someone else's schedule and working for someone building their own thing. So the whole time, the years that I was working, I was like, man, what can I do for myself? And I had so many ideas, like I wanted to make cookies and sell those or like the online shop and doing all those, those like make money quick type of things. And this didn't happen until about two and a half years ago where I decided I was like, Hey, I had enough experience doing marketing stuff and agencies and everything. Why don't I do the service? 
uh, but for myself and build my own company. So that's kind of what led to the freelancing part of it. And I just always love traveling. So that kind of just went hand in hand. When I found out that I could just do all of my work from my laptop, I was like, I am out of here. Bye guys. <laughs> and here we are today. That's an amazing and inspiring story. And uh, yeah, living nine to five for sure wasn't easy, especially when you put all the things into consideration. For you specifically, what was the most challenging part to leave so-called secure job to embrace this lifestyle? Yeah, definitely. It's not all pretty. That's what I'm going to say. It was quite the journey just because for me, having that comfort, I think that's actually why I stayed in a, in a corporate job for so long is that you get comfortable where you are, right? And it's nice not having to worry about not getting a paycheck, um, not really having to go out and get clients and everything because we had salespeople or the boss doing that, right? We were just kind of the workers. We came in, we did the work and that was it. Um, so that comfort and not having to go out and, and kind of go into that world was probably what kept me in it the most, but the negative part of it or what made me want to leave really bad is that I just felt so confined. And over time I felt like a decrease in passion and in honestly general happiness that I just had to do something because I knew this wasn't the thing I wanted to do with my life for the rest of my life. I feel like some people see that there's so much more to life than just living that same day over and over again and living for the weekend, which I, I realized that I was doing, right? Like I'm looking forward to the weekend because no work, I can go hang out with friends. And like, for me, it was just, I was losing the passion, right? The passion for the work that I was doing. I didn't feel... Um, any excitement with the work that I was doing. And that's not to say that there's people working nine to fives that don't feel that there definitely are people who are super passionate working about working their nine to five and love their work and everything. Just personally for me, it just, that wasn't it. I had a, a calling to do something more and that I couldn't find in the nine to five. So that's kind of where it still steered me. So where I am today. Whoa, what a story. Happy that you bring that up when it comes to the call. What was that call? More than probably the freedom. It was something else that pushed you? Yeah. Take it took me step. a little bit to find that out, actually. And after working with a lot of people, I realized I love working with people, right? I love helping them. And I love the feedback that I get personally from when something works. So for me, the calling was was really to be able to choose the types of companies and people that I work with versus having them hand it to me and be like, oh, this is the company you're going to work for or you're going to work with type of thing. So that's kind of where I'm steering my my business now is really to help other um, women specifically who are interested in freelancing as social media strategists or managers and having them kind of escape that life that I was trying to for so long and giving them a framework. So that's kind of the, that was my bigger calling is really to help people. And um, there's this quote from Joe Dispenza that I just posted actually. And he's like, when you're giving from a place of abundance, when you have knowledge, whether it's knowledge, money, whatever that is, when you're giving from a place of abundance, it doesn't feel like giving. It feels like receiving because from you giving, the results and the happiness that get 
kind of transferred back to you is is more than enough. It's not because you're receiving something monetary or something in return. It's just the true wanting to help someone else. So that's kind of my bigger calling is what I'm going to say. I love it. And uh, especially this part, because what I noticed recently, a lot of people are trying to grab something right away. Oh, I have this service or this uh, tool for you or whatever they are selling without the thing that you just mentioned, giving. You cannot just ask things without giving, 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 giving. And at some point, of course, you can ask because we all do it for business as well to sustain a living uh, lifestyle. But if you don't have a bigger purpose than money and the way you put it, it's perfect because that's the thing. You want to do something beyond you to help others, not just yourself. I want to dig a bit deeper into this with you. You mentioned that you're focusing on freelancers that they want to escape that nine to five. Yeah, that nine to five journey. And the big reason why I want to target that audience is because I I was once there. And the hardest part for me was really making that decision and leaving that nine to five and pursuing something that was completely unknown territory. No one else around me was doing that because it's not the norm, right? So it's stepping out of what society thinks is normal and doing something that actually fulfills that whatever that calling is or fulfills you personally. And like I said, that was the hardest part for me was actually making this, the decision. And I didn't have a framework, right? I figured it out myself. And I'm sure at the time there, there's a lot of people who have also done that, but I didn't have a framework to guide me in terms of what to do, what steps to take, how to set up my business correctly, how to get my first client type of thing. All of that was me almost guessing and using some of the experience that I had gained from my work experience. I worked in marketing agencies. I know the ins and outs of how agencies work and everything. So that really helped me in my own business. And I want to lay that out for other people to do because man, I wish I had a framework when I first started, right? Because that would have gave me so much more confidence in doing what I'm doing. It would have made the process a lot quicker in terms of getting a client and start making money. And for me, that's the biggest part. It's I want to provide value to other people. And I think that by providing value and not not necessarily having to charge for that, I think people will will actually appreciate that. And that's that's where the value comes in. And that's where people connect with you more, right? Because you have a story that's relatable. Exactly. And since here at the Nomad Solopreneur Show, we are all about providing value. I want to hear from you. How did you get your first yeah. client? And what would be the advice for others in the same situation? Like they want to escape the nine to five, but they have no idea. Because as you mentioned, in an agency or at your work, you have a sales department that is getting clients in and such. So how did you get that one? Yeah. First so one? I had no portfolio when I first started. I had one client that I did social media work with at my my last job that I got let go of, but I had no portfolio of my own. So I had to build a brand and an online presence. But those two were the things that would be able to set me apart. And like, if, even if I didn't have a, a portfolio, I could send them to my website or I could send them to my social media page that actually shows the type of work that I do. And those two were my 
pretty much my biggest things um, when I first started to showcase my expertise before reaching out to brands. And I did a pro bono project. I took on a client for free and I did some work for them so that I could use them in my portfolio. And really quickly after that, uh, I had people reaching out to me on LinkedIn, on my own social media to start getting work from me done. But yeah, I did want to I wanted to touch on the importance of social presence, online presence as an entrepreneur or as a solopreneur or freelancer. And in today's age, having a strong online presence is, is such a huge part of credibility and placing yourself as an expert in your niche. And in my opinion, it's one of the best ways to attract new clients and having a strong online presence, I think to me means being clear and consistent and providing value, like we talked about before. And so there was a, I think there was a study on, on Upwork. This might be for the U S only, but I think by 2027, they're stating that freelancers are expected to make up the majority of the U S workforce. I think right now it's growing three times faster than the regular workforce. So while that's great to see, it means that you have so much more competition, right? So if you're an independent contractor, what sets you apart from someone else, right? If you're a programmer, what's the difference between you and someone else? Um, and to me, that's personal brand and that's your online presence, right? Because whenever I look for something uh, like a new service or something, I'm always going on their website. I'm always searching up their social media. To that, that's that's the way people are searching things up now. That's how we do our research. And what distinguishes you from others that are doing the same thing is, is you. It's your personality. It's the value that you bring. Um, no other person can replicate you. Um, and I think people want to connect with a real person versus just a brand. I can jump into a few points in terms of like how to increase and, and strengthen your personal brand or your brand online. And firstly, it's really asking what yourself or it's asking what makes you special, right? What's the differentiating factor that makes you, you. And to me, you can't make this up. I think this is where the authenticity comes in uh, on the online space, which has become so, so important is that you can't make this up because if you're building a brand, a personal brand, there's only so much you can fake, right? So why would you try to fake that? You want to be the real you because you are building your business on that. And it's, I think your brand has to be a true reflection of your skills, um, of your passions, your values, what you're offering. So that's the first thing. And secondly, it's having an optimized and recognizable uh, online presence um, with your offer. That's very clear. So this could be anything from your website to your social media pages, um, your messaging, your brand, and your offer should all be consistent uh, across all mediums. So maybe an example is like, say I wanted to sign up for a personal trainer to help me train for Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest. Um, I'm going to go on their social medias, their website, and I'm going to look at their testimonials. And I would probably pick someone who has everything that's talking about mountaineering and climbing mountains and training for that versus a trainer who's marketing powerlifting for, for one area or um, weight loss on one other area and had testimonials for, for something else, right? So it's having a consistent brand, having your message and your values and your offers consistent is the second thing. And the third thing is 
I think you have to be making content that adds values. It's either content that adds values or you're providing value in a different way that speaks to your ideal audience. And if you say that everyone is your ideal audience, then no one's going to listen to you. So really, you have to really know who your audience is and providing value to them. This could be different forms of content, uh, blogs, videos, podcasts, emails, social posts, whatever it is that your ideal audience uh, consumes, that's what you need to make more of. And then lastly is, uh, is consistency. So I think consistency is key for anything that you do. When you're creating content yourself, it can really easily feel overwhelming. I'm sure you, you also understand that, which is why I think it's important when you first start out to choose maybe two or three topics that you're an expert in and that you want to focus on and creating a schedule for writing, for filming or whatever you have to do for that type of content and sticking to it. So my personal trick and what I use for my clients is batching content. I will batch content one month in advance. I'll I'll, I'll allow space for things that pop up, but that leaves me the rest of the month to do work that other work, regardless of if it's social media or not, and to also live this digital nomad lifestyle and to travel and to do things that I really, really am passionate about. So scheduling and batching content has allows me has allowed me to one, maintain a social presence and increase my brand awareness, but two, also to live this life. So those are the kind of steps that that I think really help an online presence as a solopreneur or freelancer. Whoa, thank you so much. This step-by-step way of building a personal brand definitely helps a lot when you're just starting and you want to put yourself out there. But what caught my eye is your take on how to do this genuinely. Please expand a bit on uniqueness because that thing, it's probably the most important one. I wonder you put it on the first place. I think the uniqueness in terms of that comes with our personal story. Um, I think that's a huge part of how people can relate to you. So that also ties back to how important storytelling is, right? And being vulnerable and being okay with sharing your experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, like all of that, there shouldn't be anything that you can, you want to hide because that's how people relate to you. And that's, in my opinion, why people would in the end buy from you, if that's something that you're interested in pursuing. Um, it's because your story is so in line with their story that they're like, wow, if she can do it, I can probably do it too. I think that storytelling portion of it creates the connection, right? It's the relatability. It's being inspirational. And people don't buy products. They buy the story behind it. Or more specifically, they buy the story that runs through their minds when owning that product or signing up for that service or something like that. So if you're able to tell your story, because personally, I don't think anyone's story can be exactly the same as someone else. So that, in in my opinion, is your unique differentiating factor. That's the thing that we all have unique paths, unique stories and unique experiences, essentially. The only challenge I see here that I heard from others is that I, I'm bad at storytelling. I don't know how to tell a story. Is there any tips, any framework that someone that is having this challenge can use in order to overcome the challenge of storytelling? I think it's very much thinking about the feelings that you felt during that time 
and communicating that. Like, I, I totally understand where you're coming from because I came from business school where we were writing very formal and me having to switch that flip to be like, okay, let's talk a little bit more personable, right? Like conversational writing is what I like to call it. That's what pulls people in. So a lots of emotions, like the emotions that you were feeling really touch on the challenges and the objections that your audience might have. So I think being able to pull pieces that are inspirational, but also don't be afraid to touch on the not so pretty stuff. Like, um, yeah, I didn't make money for two months at all. So I was struggling with finances. I was doubting the decision that I made wanting to go back to corporate because I had bills to pay still, but then switching that over to what you did to overcome that and what the path ahead looks like, right? I think that's the whole thing about storytelling. It's going from the start. It's kind of like that that journey, the hero's journey, where it, it looks really shitty and everything. And then you find that thing that, that brings you to the next step. That's the whole storytelling thing. And it's unfortunate because it's just the skill that you have to develop. Writing is hard. <laughs> it's still really hard for me. But having that framework in terms of just knowing the guiding path to it, it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. It's having a right balance of the negative and the positive to really connect with the person. Thank you so much for explaining that part because indeed having to write and to write with purpose and using stories to tell the story, <laughs> it's different, totally different than just writing for the purpose of throwing out content without reason or without a goal. Speaking of goals, what should be the goal when you write a piece of content? How you structure that? When you're writing, your framework for writing a piece of content or say like a caption or something like that should be one, your hook, two, the story that relates people to it, and three, your offer, right? So it's hook, story, offer. So one, you hook people in, you tell your story for them to relate to you, and then you sell them your offer. And that's kind of how, in my opinion, a lot of content should be structured. Um, unless you really just want to make a piece that's inspirational or you just want to post a pretty picture and you just want to have that on your page or something like that, right? But if you are creating content to sell or to help people in their life, I think all pieces of content should follow that structure, regardless of if it's for money or you just want to give a piece of content out or like a PDF or a checklist or something like that. It should be, yeah, I think it's hook story offer. Good framework. And I want to add a bit of insights here because a lot of people when are thinking about selling and you mentioned very well that it doesn't have to be the actual sell itself. It can be, I don't know, giving something away like a PDF or something. That's the thing. It can be a simple call to action, like follow us for more content like this or a call to comment on that post or something that it's your goal with that post. doesn't have to sell all the time in the specific offer. And how do you structure the ideal hook, let's say, for grabbing attention to... The hook is definitely post? something that will be different, I think, for a lot of people, right? There's people who use humor as a hook, right? Or they use a very captivating or controversial headline or something that will kind of engage a lot of people and like make people angry or if they don't agree, they'll, they'll reply, they'll comment or something, right? And that's the goal is to get engagement on there. Or the last part of a hook is 
relatability again. So it's part of that story. It's for lack of a better term, it's like, are you feeling unmotivated and unhappy? Like that could be a hook, right? Because if people are feeling that, they'll be like, oh, yes, I am. Okay, I'm going to continue watching, right? You like everyone knows this. We have so on social media, you have the attention span of a goldfish. So you have three seconds or something to grab someone's attention and that decides if they're going to watch your content or not. So the hook is probably one of the most important things for your content because even if you are providing value in the actual bread and butter of your caption or your video, it doesn't matter if your your hook is, or if that's good, because if the hook isn't good, they're not going to watch and they won't know, right? It's the whole, it's the same thing for a YouTube video. It, it kind of sucks now, but people, the framework that people are using now is that they're thinking about their thumbnail and they're thinking about their title first before they even go and film anything because without a good thumbnail and title, without that's the hook for YouTube, people aren't going to watch your video. It's a kind of bit sad, especially for those, those that are creating amazing content on YouTube and they are not good at persuading others into watching it through the thumbnail or the hook in the title are losing big time, unfortunately. And they actually doesn't have to do it themselves. They can hire others to do it. That's the thing. As a tradition in this show, we'll challenge each guest to come up with an actionable solution to a real life scenario. I did some background check on you. I'm not working for CIA or NSA, but uh, I noticed that you actually study marketing in school. And that's rare in today's world because usually we don't actually practice what we learn. So I challenge you to build an actionable strategy for a non-native English speaker a data freelancer, which is really good at its craft and is struggling to create content due to his lack of knowledge into storytelling. I see. <laughs> so throw away your marketing experience and put yourself in the shoes of this freelancer. And by the way, dear listeners, Jessica has no idea about this challenge. So she needs to come up with something on spot. <laughs> no, no pressure. pressure at all, right? Okay, <laughs> let me see. So... For a non-native speaker who wants to storytell in any way, like on for their content, what their strategy would be, and they want to, they exactly, want to storytell yes. in English. So what, they want to build basically their personal brand using okay. their storytelling English. in English, and they are super good yes. at their craft, but they had no idea how to use that knowledge. Let's say they can be a developer or a graphic designer or a web designer a creative skill, but they don't have the that copywriting skill, that marketing experience to take this leap, going from freelancer to solopreneur and actually building their personal okay. brand. And what would be the first step to achieve that, to be able to have the confidence to go on that path, to express themselves, to show their expertise, to provide value to others through social media? Yeah, I think honestly, this isn't going to be some revolutionary thing, but it's honestly to just start because I think we were all there at one point and there's no way to get confident in something if you don't do it. So for, like you said, you were confident speaking on camera, speaking English, cause it's not your native language. 
And I wasn't confident speaking on camera either. And that's just something that you have to do over and over again until it becomes second nature to you. So even if that person isn't an English speaker, right? The only way that they're going to, or a native speaker and their content is hard to translate kind of their message that they want to do, but the more they do it, easier it's going to be and the more clear that it's going to be to them on how to express themselves in that way. So for me, it's just to do it, right? Like it's going to suck and it's going to be embarrassing when you're far ahead and you're confident in doing all that stuff. When you look back on your first video or your first piece of content, you're going to just be like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? But But that is the one, one thing that I can, I can recommend is just to start, right? It doesn't matter what you think people are going to think. If you have something that you want to share, if you have a skill that you want to put out there to help people or to market yourself, you just got to do it, right? Because there's no other way for people to see you if you don't. And you're just going to get in a hole of that whole analysis paralysis where you're thinking too much and you don't do anything. And then in the end, a year from now, it's either you're going to be one year more experienced or you're going to be still right where you are. So just go and do it. That's actually a brilliant advice. And even that you said that is not revolutionary, in general, we don't realize how simple are the steps. It's simple to start. Of course, it's not easy to actually put the work and be consistent and so on. But yeah, that's the true. We just have to start. And it was the same for me. I just had to start. And as going to the gym, if you go every day and you do the repetition, you'll get stronger and better and fitter and so on. Without starting, you'll end up in the same situation every single time. I want to dig a bit deeper in this because when you start, you usually start looking at the blank screen, have no idea how to start, what to write first, what to put there. Of course, you have our expertise and our thoughts and uh, ideas, but how to literally start posting or start making a short plan. You mentioned that you batch content for you and for your clients. How you start that uh, process? Yeah. So I, even before I start any type of content, what I do is create a strategy and that incorporates things like who their target audience is, how you're going to talk to your clients. So what's your voice? How are you speaking to them? Are you speaking to them with slang? Are you laid back? Are you very professional type of stuff like that? And then one of the most important ones is your content pillars, right? So the types of content and the subjects that you want to be uh, an expert in and you want to teach people. So that again falls under three categories. I think it's like the inspirational, the educational, the entertainment, but within that, what are your topics, right? So for me, it would be digital nomad travel. It would be freelancing social media, freelancing social media strategist and manager, like tips like that. And then mental and physical health as a digital nomad. Those are just some examples, right? So those are my three topics. And if I have those three laid out, or if I want to have more, I should never have an issue trying to think of topics to write into because I need all those topics to be relatable to those three content pillars. And that's the basis of what I create all of my clients' content on. It's pillars of of content. It's That's the strategy behind it because within those 
that's the type of information that I want to be giving out. Um, and I'm not going to, for me personally, it's like, I'm not going to go in and create a post or a video that's based on fashion, right? That has nothing to do with what I'm trying to post. But in terms of having the content pillars there, I know that I need to find topics that relate to those. And if you have those pillars out, I think that makes it so much easier for people to actually mm. think of topics that relate to what they're trying to express and everything. That was brilliant advice because usually without the strategy in mind, you're just, you have no idea. So I totally can relate because I was staring at the blank screen. I had no strategy. I had no idea what to write about. I had all these ideas. How far you think someone will have to, from the main content pillar? So for me, it would be, I want to help women worldwide start freelancing and creating a life of more freedom, right? So does that topic, does that relate back to my main goal and what I'm trying to achieve, right? And if that answer is a yes or a no, then that's what you know if you like, that's how you know if you should continue on with that topic, right? Because I don't, this is the one thing that irks me so much. It's like posting just to post, posting just to stay active on social media without a strategy. And, and I've been guilty of that for sure. Like sometimes I just take a nice picture and I was like, oh, I really want to post that, but I don't really know what to put behind it. So I just post it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> for sure, most, the majority of your posts should have a relatability and should contribute to your overall message. And that's the whole point of consistency and having everything aligned on all of your channels and everything. It should be tying back to your main goal. And I'm happy that you bring on the posting part because as part of this challenge, I want to go again, even further, because we want to take yeah. everything from you. <laughs> to create from this non-native English speaker freelancer, an actual strategy to be able to put themselves into the world. Once they have laid down the strategy, they start creating content and be consistent and so on. What else they should do in order to be able to actually get traction, get followers, be able to grow oh, their man. account? If there's one thing I would suggest, it's engaging. It's actually talking to people that are interested in your industry or your niche. And it's going on to bigger accounts that you aspire to, or that are also related in your topic and engaging with the people who are in the comments also, or it's leaving your expertise or leaving your two cents on a post that they might've made and actually having real conversations with people online and people that are following you or following other people, right? Because when you interject your expertise, like in that method, if it's a point that irks people or that actually raises interest in people and, or they agree with your point, a lot of the times people will click into your page. And when they see that you're also providing content that's related to something that they commented on, they're more likely to click that follow button. Right. And then you already know that they're a pre-qualified person for your content. They're going to engage with your content because it relates to them. So engaging is one of the biggest things. And I don't mean like a lot of the times when people count engagement in analytics and everything, they say it's, oh, it's like a like, or it's a comment. And they don't look at the type of comments. Sometimes people are just leaving emojis or like hearting a comment. I don't count that as engagement. I think that's useless. I call that, was it lipstick analytics? Because they don't mean anything. Um, 
I mean, actually engaging with people and making real conversations and talking to them and having that back and forth conversation in the comment section or in the DMs, right? That's what really creates a community of people that, that are interested in your topic. That's a good advice, especially because people spend a lot of time in the comments more than, I don't know, looking at a post or watching a video. And usually the comments are the the gold mine of useful information. Like you, you can see a super spot on post that is providing value, but when you read the comments, you realize that the information and the value that it, it, it are in those comments are yeah. 10 times more valuable than the post itself. Hopefully our listeners were listen closely to this and start applying because it's not simply posting won't grow a neither an Instagram account and none other social media accounts because it's called social mm-hmm. for a reason. You need to engage, you need to connect with people and to be active, not just posting for the sake of posting. And I'm active. I, I grow my Instagram account or my LinkedIn or my Twitter by simply posting. It's impossible. And apart from this, do you think that there are any other tips you can add to be able to wait a step further and actually, because for example, when it comes to social media, as you mentioned, engagement and so on, a lot of people attribute the number of followers to the actual money they make. But in reality, I think it's quite it different, right? It is very different. And that there's a, there's a story. I'm trying to think of the girl's name, but, oh, I think it was Ari. She was on Instagram. I think she had 2.6 million followers or something like that. And she partnered with a brand to try to sell some clothing and she failed to sell 252 pieces, which is what she needed to get hit production, right? So she, from 2.6 million people, she wasn't able to sell 200 pieces of clothing. So to me, if that's not sign enough that the number of followers that you have has nothing to do with revenue, it's if you don't have a clear brand, if you, if your brand didn't match what you're selling and it comes off as inauthentic, no one's going to, no one's going to buy from you. Right. So for me personally, the number of followers, it has the potential to bring in new clients, but a lot of them aren't a good fit. So I've numbers, number of followers is another one of those metrics that I, I'm a little weary about. So in terms of steps, I know like you, you were asking about what are some like actual steps for the listeners to take on apart from all the other stuff is that don't do anything without a strategy first. I think that's your main thing is to create that strategy and have those content pillars before you even start thinking about making content and don't focus on the lipstick metrics. That's the thing. So yeah, you, you can look at metrics, of course, and look at what type of content is performing well, but Say if one post isn't performing well, it's okay. Move on to the next one, create the next one, because that's the only way you learn. You create and you learn what works and what doesn't. True. And another thing that I test and I noticed it worked, it posts that didn't perform. I simply changed the hook and leave the Mm -hmm. post the same. And it performed after that, because as you really well mentioned earlier, the hook, it makes or break any type of content. Is grabbing that attention or not? And it's that exactly. easy. This is a brilliant way to actually put yourself out there as a freelancer. So thank you so much for sharing and to take in the challenge. I don't know if I performed that well. <laughs> to this level. You did. You did very well. Thank you so much. I think this is super valuable. And 
if applied, because if you listen to this and you don't apply, you just lose some time. But I am sure that you guys listening will apply this and grab the value from it. I want to bring back a bit of discussion to the digital nomad thing, because I know that you're at the beginning. And for someone that just started this journey, I'm sure you have a lot of challenges that you come across. And what was the, the biggest challenge? So yeah, far like you, you said, I'm still quite quite new at the actual nomad life. It seems a bit more experienced for me, but I think it was actually learning how to switch off the traveling mode to the digital nomad mode. So for me, traveling, it's like, it's go, go, go. You're doing something every day versus digital nomad. It's like, you're still working. You still have things to do, but you're kind of interjecting pieces of travel and like experiences here and there. And for me, it was realizing that I'm not traveling anymore and that I have more time to do all those experiences while also working. And at the beginning, like I was out every day doing something different because I wanted to meet people. I wanted to get to know the city, but it just, it turned into me not getting my work done because I just had no time to sit down and work. So I think that was the biggest challenge for me was telling myself to slow down a bit and to realize that I am going to be here for a little bit longer and I don't have to get everything, all my traveling done all at once. And I think that's the secret to actually slow travel, yeah. right? To not rush yourself into the next destination and just stay for one week because you won't be able to both experience that country or region and actually do your work. And how do you manage to do this? How do you balance things to ground yourself and to actually do the work that you have to do and at the same time be able to explore the city or explore the surroundings? I think this has to tie back to just having discipline. And that's a huge thing. If you're going to be a freelancer, a digital nomad, it's having the discipline and learning when to realize that, wait, no, I have to do this before I can do this type of thing. Or it's making a deal with yourself and it's like, okay, if I'm going to go and experience this, then like tomorrow I'm doing all my work type of thing. And, and it's having the discipline to stick with the schedule that you make for yourself, right? And it doesn't have to just be work. It could incorporate your physical health, like working out, going yoga, whatever that is, and other parts of your life. It doesn't even have to be a schedule, I wouldn't say, but it's just knowing that if you have something to do, no one else is going to do it for you. And a lot of the times, if you don't do it, you might not get paid. I think having that pressure of knowing that you have to make your own money also kicks your butt into action and is like, okay, wait, no, I have to do this first. Good point, because uh, usually when everyone is thinking about nomading, they are expecting that oh, you work all the time for the beach or you're traveling all the time and stuff like that. And especially because, some, for example, myself, I try to split time as much as possible. Like when I travel, I travel. When I focusing on work, I'm focusing on work. Of course, it's not always possible to balance like that. But uh, yeah, it's just discipline, uh, essentially. You have to prioritize the things that matter to you and you have to be grounded to not be jumping into temptation like, oh, I'm in this new place and everyone wants to meet, everyone wants to hang out. I should go with the flow. Sometimes it's nice. You can do that, but be careful to not overdo it and end up in the situation that you have to 
<laughs> you don't meet deadlines so you that don't get paid and you don't have an income after that exactly and, so and i think that's so, the whole thing about freelancing compared to having a nine-to-five right it's like most of the times in the nine to five, you're still going to get paid. You're going to get that paycheck every two weeks or every month versus freelancing. It's yeah, you better get your work done or else you're not getting paid. At the same time, that's why I love about solopreneurship, because if you push these things a bit further and you escape that trading time for money, which usually freelancers do, and actually try to diversify a bit and have multiple stream of income, multiple stream of clients and go a step further and actually run it as a business and hire some help. It doesn't have to be full-time. I, I'm not on full-time employees type of things, but hiring contractors, outsourcing to other freelancers and so on can fill up your time and can actually help you explore more as a nomad. And I want to go on this side of good things about digital nomading. What was your more surprising experience so oh, far? Oh man, it's just the number of people in the same situation as you doing the same thing in terms of freelancing or digital nomading and that are willing to share their experience or their knowledge or just wanting to create a meaningful connection. That to me was the biggest positive side of starting my digital nomad life. And I think that was the one thing that I was searching for. It was being surrounded with people that have the same mindset as you and that realizing that life doesn't have to be lived in an office making money. There's so many other ways to do that, that allow you to live a more passionate and more happy life. And I think everyone in our positions understands that being a digital nomad can be pretty lonely at times. A lot of the times you're by yourself or you're so focused on your work. And there's people out there that, that make the extra effort to include you if you're new to the community or if you're new to the city. And that is something that at I think in your hometown, you just don't really get. For me, at least, I didn't really get because everyone has their set of friends that they've been friends with us so long. Um, a lot of people don't go out and make, try to make new friends because you're comfortable. Like I, I love my friends from elementary and high school and all of that. And going out and being sociable with a complete stranger is very uncomfortable. Whereas being in a digital nomad city or being in a new city, it's just, it's the thing to do. You go out and you meet people because you don't know anyone else. And that was probably the, the most surprising and kind of the best flip side of digital nomad life for me. That sounds very familiar because even myself traveling with my partner, still sometimes we feel isolated and just by ourselves, but arriving in a community hub like Chiang Mai or Bali and so on, and where, as you mentioned, everyone is like-minded, everyone wants to help and they want to integrate right away. doesn't matter that you're new to the community or the working space. I remember I was at this wine tasting event and we were a group already. So we were a group already there. And it was this guy that was sitting alone next to us and he simply jumped in and we became friends and so on. It's so simple in this type of situation. Even if you're an introvert, people help you integrate easy. It's part of their way of seeing things. And this openness nomads have to life, to genuine human connection. If you go at a networking event, a classic networking event, everyone will like, what you do for a living? I don't think I knew what you're doing for your for a living until at a third or fourth meeting. I totally understand why 
If someone does this once, it's hard to stop. Speaking of, what are your plans? Uh, oh man, my my future. <laughs> now that you jump into this lifestyle. Well, my immediate plans are probably f- to go to Vietnam for next month, and then after that, maybe Singapore for a little bit, Malaysia. I might head to Taiwan, and then in the springtime, I'm going to be in Europe and I get to explore Europe. You've told me a lot about Madeira, so I am sold on that, and. Honestly, it's this is kind of the lifestyle now, right? Like you said, I can't really imagine not doing this moving forward. And I can go back to my hometown and visit and you know, recoup. Like I think everyone needs a home base somewhere, but I definitely can't see myself staying in one place for for more than I don't know, 3-4 months at a time, right? I want to go to the next place. I want to explore this place. And I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like It's not just about the traveling part, it's just it's about meeting different people, right? And people that are willing and wanting to to also do the same. And that's that's beautiful to me and I love it. <laughs> Happy to hear that because there are some powerful things here in the nomad community and to find that connection. Whereas even though I sometimes I do feel lonely living this life, like I always know that there's that community, that digital nomad community where something is always going on and I can always reach out to someone in there to hang out or something like that if i'm feeling down or something and i think that's the really powerful part of it back in university networking was a huge thing for us but in the digital nomad community i don't i didn't know what you did until our third meeting like you said it's about me- making those meaningful connections and there's this i think it's mark granovetter he's a stanford professor and he came up with the theory of weak ties If we pull in Dunbar's rule, which is you can only maintain 150 connections at once, that's how many he believes you can how many people you can have in your life acquaintances on average. And he, Mark Granovetter says that the biggest opportunities come from your weakest ties. So the people that are new in your acquaintances or new people that you make because Those are the people that you don't know what they do. You don't know their connections, right? But what do we do? We always hang out with people who are closest to us. We know everything about them. We know how they think. We know all of their connections, right? So for me, I think the key is to constantly be strengthening those weak ties or constantly adding people in and kicking people out. And I think that's where enormous opportunity comes from, right? And I think that's huge for not just opportunities for work. You can meet your significant other. You can meet a business partner, like anything, right? And I love that concept. And when I have that in my mind in terms of meeting people, it changes the outlook of why I'm interacting with people because it's it opens up so many different opportunities when you're meeting people. Indeed, and when it comes to the people that you already know, and those that we are spending a lot of time with them and or we used to spend a lot of time with them there is a routine already uh, even if something new happens to you oh let's celebrate or oh poor you or you know or stuff like that but then it comes to the new connections that you make that are actually just starting to knowing you they are much more supportive i feel even if with your business like old friends expecting to work for free for them or help them for free and stuff like that actually when actually support means to help that new business owner with a purchase or with providing a recommendation for them exactly and it's just this is my job right so if you do want to support me and you believe in what i do you can 
this sounds terrible, but it's please pay me to do it because this takes time away from paid work that I can do. And as much as you want to help friends and family and everything, there's definitely boundaries that you have to set with them in terms of, hey, sorry, I'm just really busy or I have paid work and all that stuff. And a lot of the times when you say yes, it's obviously out of the goodness of your heart. You do want to help them and everything. <laughs> but I totally, I totally understand that. There's that expectation from friends and family or people that you do know to get stuff for free, pro bono. And speaking of doing work for free, because you mentioned that your first client was a free project and you can always do free work, but avoiding going too far, like doing for exposure and stuff like that. When someone is promising you, if you work for free for me, I will give you massive exposure. And actually Chris Doe from the future, that's future without E, is putting this very well in one of his posts on Instagram. He's asking what kind of exposure can you basically provide that is measurable and in what timeline? And the answer is something like, oh, I don't know, maybe put you in front of 400,000 on 30 days or something. And you can answer, great. So we'll promote us on your channel for 30 days. Let's say that it's value at uh, 500 bucks. When we reach that uh, with your exposure, we refund to you 500 bucks. Is that a deal? Wholly but, agree yeah. on that. And I am very much a proponent of knowing your worth. And of course, when I first started out, it's, yeah, I, that was the only thing I thought of, right? I was like, oh, okay, I'll do something for free so that they'll work with me. Not knowing when I think back on it, and if I could suggest to people actually moving forward is think about some other professions, a doctor or even someone new coming into a marketing position, right? It's not, even if you're a new agency, you don't be like, oh, I'll do free work for you. If a doctor came to you and was like, here, I'll operate on you for free. If they were in the private sector or something, how would you feel, right? You don't, when people start working at a new job, they don't announce to people that they are new, right? They just be like, here, this is what I do. This is my expertise. This is my rate. And your rates should be reflective of your experience, right? So of course, if I'm starting out new, my rates aren't going to be the same as someone who's been doing it for five years, right? And when I started out and when I had that free client, I had a deal with them that I would do two months for free. And if they were happy with the results, then I would switch them over to a monthly contract. And I did two months because social media... When you first start out, the first month is setting stuff up, right? Setting stuff up, getting ready, and then you have one month of posting. So if they were happy with the work that I was doing, then they would be a paid client after that, right? So it's not doing free work forever. It's doing free work so that you can get the experience that you need and get the, the exposure that you need. And then knowing your worth and switching over and getting compensated for it because you're doing work. This is your livelihood, right? So that's the method that I do recommend if you do want to do free work is have an agreement with them where it switches over to a paid contract after that. Or off the bat, if your branding and your systems are all set up and good, you can go off and just start charging people. It can start off little. And then as you get more experience, you increase your rates. That's probably the way to do it. And that's probably what I suggest. Very good advice. And it's funny that you bring that up with um, doctor example, because not only when someone asks to work for free, but someone asks, oh, can you do just that? Because it'll take you just 10 we minutes call that scope. Uh, of your time. You, you don't go... <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. And you don't go to a doctor to say, oh, can you make another cut when you do the knee surgery to, I don't know, to fix my femur as well? Because it, it will just take you 10 seconds or you don't do that. So don't let's treat freelancer and service provider in general with respect because they are doing hard work and you pay for their expertise, their time and the fast knowledge they bring in. Not to mention all the expensive tools they use. So yeah, asking for free work, it's not cool. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> uh, this was great. Thank you so much, Jess, for taking the time to provide so much value to our listeners. And please tell me, how can listeners learn more about you and your work? Where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me at It's Jess Lau on Instagram, on YouTube. My website for social media management and strategy is morisocialmedia.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at morisocialmedia. That's awesome. And don't worry, guys, you don't have to memorize <laughs> this. I'll put them in the show notes. So look out for that. And since we are all about helping and providing value, before wrapping up, I have another challenge for our listener this time. But you'll have to create the challenge for them. It should not take more than one day to complete. And uh, it will make our listeners' social media accounts improve exponentially if complete successfully. I love it. What they should do uh, in one day. I want you guys to and you too, Gabe, to go and interact with five accounts. I want you to leave a meaningful comment that is an open-ended question or that someone can reply to on, it could be five accounts or it could be one account and multiple posts and leave your kind of expertise or leave your two cents on a post that they made and started to try to start a conversation with people in the comment section. Love it. And thanks for including me as well, because I definitely want to do this. And since I already started doing this week, like I was super active on LinkedIn, I can definitely confirm guys that it works. It definitely works because my account on LinkedIn exploded after I started doing this. If you want to grow your social media, doesn't matter if it's Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, engagement, it's the way to go. And thanks so much for the challenge. I'm looking forward to hear from our listener the results they get applying these uh, tips that you brought up today and the results they came up after the challenge. Uh, thanks so much just again for taking the time to jump and provide so much value. I'm sure that everyone that applies these strategies and the tips that you brought in, they will grow their social media accounts without a doubt. It was my pleasure. And, it was so much uh, fun doing this. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> and I do want to know the results. My pleasure. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check the show notes page for this episode at thenomadsolopreneur.show that's thenomadsolopreneur.show where you will find direct links to the tools and resources mentioned in this episode and much more. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoy recording it. If you find it useful, make sure to share it with your peers and subscribe to your favorite podcast station to not miss when we drop the next episode. We have lots of exciting guests and surprises for you coming up. This is your host, Gay Marushka with the Nomad Solopreneur Show. Until next week, pura vida!